Hello, and welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast designed to address the concerns of black men and provide a forum for them to learn, feel empowered, and be the men they are called to be. We're, we're in for a treat today uh, because one of the things, if you missed last week's show, uh, we talked about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. Is there good, do we need a national movement to really start to make some changes? And, you know, one of the things that we, we, we kind of talked about is about income and wealth. We, we are, um, as, a, as a race, a Black race, we are... I'm sure I'm, I don't know the stats. Uh, maybe my guests will know them specifically, but I know we are at the bottom when it comes to wealth generation. And we have to start to do that. If we want to get some power and have some say so, uh, you know, yes, changing policies are great, but they're also at the control of other people. And we have to start to take ownership of these things and take the bull by the horns. Uh, so my next guest is another, is another GU alum. And, this brother's really doing some great things in uh, the state of New Jersey. When it comes to real estate development, uh, he has gained some knowledge you know, from his mentors, and we're going to talk about that. But he's trying to use what he has learned to help you know, guys like me and uh, families in this, not only in the state of New Jersey, but I know when he, he's working in Atlanta, and I know he, he has another area that he's working with. We're going to just uh, chat today and talk about, you know, how, what are the, some of the keys to wealth generation? So without further ado, I'm going to bring up A. Donahue Baker, A. Donahue Baker Real Estate Development, and he's, we're just going to talk. So, hey, what's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing well, Keith. So we're going to um, gonna have a nice little chat a little bit. And, you know, I'm really excited to hear about this because for the summer, you know, because of coronavirus and everything, trying to keep the kids busy, we started uh, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And we, you know, we delved into real estate, you know, development in that book and just wealth generation, you know, and really going against the norm of what you, uh, you really need to do if you want to really get ahead. So I'm really excited to hear about, you know, some of the tips that you, in your journey into this and how you have gone from working a job to where this is just your passion and how you um, raise your family, you know, the income that you get from this. So um, I want to kind of go back. I always like to go back to hear the, your story. You know, you started out, uh, you grew up in a housing project. And that was, that was in, was that new, in Newark, New Jersey? In New Jersey. It was in New, it was actually uh, in King Gardens in Englewood, New Jersey. Affordable housing. Ingle, oh, Englewood. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you're Bergen yep. County. Yep. Bergen County, man. Yes. Okay. Bergen County, born and raised, baby. I hear you. I hear you. And is King Garden still there? King Gardens is still there with uh, million-dollar development projects all around it. But King Gardens is still there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, kind of what was it What was it like and what were some of the lessons that you took, you know, from King Garden? You know, just, just um, a couple things. So affordable housing, you know, we, we I, I basically grew up in a family that always had the fear of being homeless, right? Just, you know, we had a landlord, so it was the fear. And even as a young adolescent, I was able to feel the fear of not being able to make that rental payment. Um, so that affected 
how I viewed the world, you know, and then I would, I, I was in close proximity to New York City, so I would go to New York a lot, and then I would see homeless people on the street, so it just added more fuel kind of to the fire when I see people homeless, knowing that I would go back home and still deal with this month-to-month fear of, of not being able to pay the rent and then being evicted. Oh, wow. And yeah, and that fear, that fear is out there right now, especially dealing with the coronavirus. Yeah, it's real. It's real. People unemployed. Yep. And uh, so I could see how, I could see how that would stay with you, you know, into adulthood. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. you, you know, yeah. you went, you ended up at Georgetown. Yeah. On the hilltop. Love, love Georgetown. So I'm sure it had to be kind of a culture shock and uh, just, you know, making the transition. So how did you like Georgetown? And what are some of the things that you learned while you were there? Yeah, Georgetown was a life-changing experience, and still to this day, some of the best friends that I have in life are people that I met on the hilltop. But just coming from my background, being able to go to a place with so many, with, with such a diverse mixture of people, you know, people really all over the country, you know, from West Coast, East Coast, the South, uh, New York as well. It's just a dichotomy of different races and cultures, and it. it Exposed me to so much that I've never really been exposed to uh, in, in my whole life. So the four years that I was there, it was really a, a learning experience that I still hold true and value and cherish to this very day. It's, it's really, it shaped so much of me that I wouldn't really even say academic-wise. It was just people-wise, how to deal with people, how to form relationships, how to really um, create bonds. And it, at such a young age, you really don't know, but then when you leave Georgetown and you realize how strong those bonds were, you just cherish them that more, that much more. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I always love to go back, you know, every year for our Soul Hoya event because it was it was really a life changing experience. And not just dealing with, you know, your close friends, but just how to navigate the world in such a different way. Um, really, really, really thoroughly enjoyed it as much and it's it it's too bad, our, you know, because I'm older, we didn't really cross paths till later. So, but I'm really glad that we did. And that, that's just the beauty of, of the Hilltop, that we're able to do that. So, so then you, you graduated and you started out in, in the music industry? Yeah, so yeah, while I was in Georgetown, I was always dabbling in music. While I was in Georgetown, I was still working on different aspects. And quite honestly, I really did not know if I wanted to either go into corporate America or continue to pursue my passion, my music passion. Okay. So um, so I played around a little bit and, you know, got involved in some things and did some music. Um, we discovered, like, Amy Marie came out of Georgetown. We helped play a, a big part in her career. Oh, uh, okay. Went on to produce uh, Music Soul Child. I got nominated for a Grammy. So that artist actually, you know, that project, uh, allowed me to become a, a Grammy-nominated producer. Oh, that's fantastic. So how did you actually hook up with him? Did you through Georgetown, or did you already know know him prior to that? No, we just been in, just working in the music industry in okay. addition to that. So a couple of the other people that, uh, one person, Hakeem Young, also a Georgetown graduate, um, did a lot of work with him. And then uh, Jermaine, uh, which was went to Howard, so we did a lot of work with people just in D.C. in general. Okay. Um, Eric Robeson really was the key in that whole connection. Eric was working with music and brought us into the project that way because of his, you know, songwriter. He's an incredible songwriter. Still to this day, if you love R&B music, 
Eric Robeson is that dude. You know, Eric and the Howard connection, you know, even though we spent a lot of time at the Hilltop, you know, just being in D.C. with the Chocolate City, you spent yeah. a lot of time at Howard University. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we, you know, a lot of great relationships at Howard University. I actually pledged at Howard University. So the roots of D.C. is really strong. It goes through Georgetown, but Howard is, you know, is like a sister school as well. So, you know, it's just deep in that regard. Okay. Okay. And so I know you had mentioned, I had heard discussion or a little bit of, you know, background study that you had kind of gotten out of that because of the, you know, the music industry in general fluctuated back and forth. And then you had, you know, because you're, you also had a background in accounting, you had started, started your own firm in accounting. Yes, I did. Yeah. We had a thriving accounting practice uh, here in DC. And, and one of the things in that accounting firm that we did was literally turn, create wealth. So what I called it was turning thousandaires into millionaires. Through okay. tax strategy. And that opened up a whole world for me that I said, you know what? How are, how are they doing? How are, how is somebody that makes $100,000 a year on a salary able to create a net worth of a million dollars? And I learned how to do that through my tax practice. And it was really just tax strategies. So I based the, the foundation of my current business on all that I learned over the decades that I, that I had a, CPA practice. Wow. And so when that, when you first started to see, see that actually in effect, people that just had a hundred thousand dollars and then all of a sudden was able to create this kind of wealth, did it, what were your feelings? How did you feel about that? I was, first of all, was eye opening, right? That they really were able to, to do that because especially in the black community, like many of us are the first, like I was the first of my family graduate from college so when we had that college degree we were just happy to be in corporate america and you know we had good paying jobs and just happy to be there and then you know you would have a family so you know you have to kind of give to your family because you know they needed it so one thing that i realized is in order to create there's creating being rich and then it's creating generational wealth and what i learned was there's really two ways it's only two ways to really create generational wealth. One of the ways is starting a business that has systems. And in, those, in the business, you basically create systems that you can pass down. The other way, and I learned this from the practice, was real estate. You know, a lot of people would work jobs and they'd make good money, but it's really the passive income from owning real estate that allowed them to become millionaires. And through the way, I learned many different strategies. I learned about segregate, like um, cost segregation, different tricks, different things that you can implement to really pay no taxes, zero taxes from real estate. And in order to take advantage of those opportunities from the tax law, you need to have a business or you need to own real estate. And that's really the two ways in which you create generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've kind of dabbled with that. We, you know, we had kind of started and had it starting investment club, but it a little died on the vine, but that's a whole nother story. But one thing that's, that's a little bit troubling is that, you know, as we know in our communities though, our African-American community, the many, the medium income is about 41,000. So, and that's way below kind of the threshold of, you know, if you have a hundred thousand to start. So how would our communities, how would they start to take 
take advantage of a program like this so where we could start to start creating this generational wealth that we so need, desperately need in our communities. Right. So I have a plan. I have a, a, a fold out. So I have a, two ways, right? One way is called the real estate roadmap to creating generational wealth. And it's literally five different levels in skyscraper that you basically go through each level. At the end, when you get to level six, you're literally at the generational wealth stage and creating generational wealth. But it's a little bit in depth, so I'm just going to back up, answer the question, kind of like in a short form, if you know, okay. if you want okay. to, right? So yes, the median income is is relatively low, but what you need to do is realize that there's funds out there that you can tap into, and if you structure your business right, you can tap into those funds and literally create wealth. And I'm going to show you how, very in a short form manner. So I co-founded a company. It's called Money App. Literally, Money App is a fintech bank where uh, we don't have a brick and mortar, but what we do have is we're licensed bankers. We can do anything that any national bank could do. Now, in Money App, we have a program that if you have an LLC, we're able to get you at least $50,000 in business credit to your LLC, and that's $50,000 that is not connected to your personal credit profile. So what that means is whatever you have an LLC, we can create, we can basically give your LLC $50,000. My first big real estate project was an apartment complex. I had, I bought it for $5 million. I had to raise a million dollars of my own. You know how the real estate uh, mm, business right. works. You, yeah. you know, the purchase price yeah. is one thing, but you don't come up with a hundred percent of the money you need, you may only have to come up with 20% or 30%. Right. So that $5 million project, I had to come up with 20% uh, of, I basically had to come up with a million dollars to do the acquisition. One of the ways I was able to do that was through business credit. So I tell people that you can use your business credit to leverage and create more opportunity for you, even if you don't have the income. And we show people how to do that specifically mm. at Money App. Mm. That's what we do. So you're saying, so what you're saying is that you can easily do this. I, I could do this for everybody, anyone. Every LLC that you have should be worth at least $100,000. That is fact, right? Every LLC should right. be worth at least $100,000. But let's say you don't even have a business. Let's say you just are a regular person that has no business interest can still create an LLC for you and still be able to get you business credit of $50,000 at least. And that will allow you to not only structure, not only have tremendous amount of tax benefits, but also allow you to create a lifestyle that you can take risk and, and start a business because that's what we need to do in our community. We need more creators. We need people that create risk, right? So that's the whole purpose of us adopting this program. In addition to another, we have another program that we're specifically targeting paid lenders, right? So we can get you between $500 all the way up to $10,000 in less than three hours, low interest rate, 2 or 3% interest rate. So we're going after payday lenders. Our goal is to kill those payday lenders and move them out of, our, out of the predatory lending business. 
because it just makes sense. If you can get a short-term loan with the interest rate in three hours, why would you go to a payday lender? You know, but I digress. The whole thing about creating more entrepreneurs, more creators, more businesses in our community, like if you cannot have, if you can't have a proof of concept business from $50,000, you've been the wrong business you, or you have a business that doesn't work. So that's why I tell people, start that way. Start with the $50,000, and then if, you, if you're able to scale up, we can get you more and more funding, but that is just the benchmark, the baseline for starting a business. Well, I don't know about if, if you're listening. This certainly piques my interest. <laughs> um, you know, you can get 50, you said $50,000 in business credit that can help you structure, yeah. structure deal, a real estate deal. That, that could help you create generational wealth. And, and not just, and, and Keith, it's not just real estate. Um, this, is, this is a business idea. Okay. So I'll tell you, I, ha, I, have a, I have an Asian friend, and I'll tell you exactly what they do in the Asian community. When the Asians come in, really come into our community, what they do is they mm. create a pool, right? They have a pool every yep. six months in that yep. pool. It'll be between 10 to 20 people. Every six months, that pool, they'll, they'll have like $100,000, right? And there'll be 10 people. They'll start a business. It can be a laundromat. It can be a restaurant. It can be a dry cleaning business. It can be a, a, a hair salon. Whatever it is, they have a set number of businesses, and they only hire their family and their, their friends. And, and, they, and they basically create these businesses in our community. But it's, it's literally that seed money, that, that money that they start up, they pull that money. And when that business is mature, they pay back that money, and then a new person comes up and creates – it's a cycle. It creates a new yep. business. The business yep. model that I'm proposing is why not do the same thing? At this age, this is the age in which, you know, the younger you are – I speak a lot to millennials, right? So I tell people that's when you want to – if you have a great business idea, that's when you want to launch it. You want to get to, as quick as possible, the proof of concept stage. You want to – want to put your product in the market, put it out there, and make sure that you have a viable product. And the best way to do that is to set up these structures, these legal entities that are not connected to your personal credit profile. So if you fail, you can easily pivot and do it again. And the analogy that I use was, is Donald Trump, right? So Donald Trump has filed for bankruptcy four times, but Donald Trump has over 500 LLCs. He has over 500 LLCs because he understands the power of the LLC, and he understands asset protection and how you can leverage an LLC. And we need to do the same thing in our community to create wealth. That's fantastic. And I, and I agree. The, the Asian community, they do, uh, they do that. I know in the immigrant community, Hispanic community, they do that as well, where they'll pull their money together um, and, you know, and support someone's vision and then it'll turn around to the next person and so on. And we, we don't, we just don't do that enough. And there's, I'm sure there's a lot of factors <laughs> that it, it, trust, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, that's a whole nother segment. So I'm glad you mentioned millennials because, um, you know, since the pandemic, the millennials have been really hit the hardest as far as stable jobs. They already had issues with uh, stable income. Uh, they, they've been, you know, pretty much propping up the gig economy uh, with the Uber, the Eats of the world, and you know, doorstep and all those things. So, 
what steps do you what steps would they need to take to kind of really get started in this arena yeah so i tell millennials it's so important to be creators right to me it's it's really all about creativity because there's really no lack of poverty i think it's it's not an issue of poverty it's it's a lack of creativity and i think that millennials are uniquely positioned because they understand technology way better than our generation and if you can have a not only a business but an ecosystem of businesses you create commerce and just being able to create commerce you're able to leverage that and create more and more funding for your business more and more opportunity and it's not unheard of to see uh, people start a business and within six to seven months get bought out and at the same time become multi multi-millionaires it's not unheard of that so the thing is is to under it's to leverage technology understand the creating a business and understanding creating an ecosystem of businesses around that central business or that central business idea that you have that's really the key that i feel and if you have five friends that you can bring in and you have a group that can start you can, mm. it's a tremendous amount of options and i speak millennials like a lot of times they'll have different gatherings i'll come and literally just have a brainstorming session and there's a number of people right now that have started businesses because of that right so it's understanding the technology understanding your ideas and so many ideas out here the ideas you know are plentiful but ultimately it's about the execution setting up the right structure and doing things the right way so i know you talked about you should really be an expert in about three markets um, if you really want to make um, make the deals fruitful and that you kind of keep a handle on it. Why three markets? And especially on the East Coast, you know, property can be in short supply. So, you know, what were the markets that you chose and why did you choose them? Yeah, the reason why I say three markets is, is very simple because you can't be an expert at every single place in the country. It's just, you know, you won't know the idiosyncrasies and you won't develop the relationship that you need to develop. So... I picked three markets, my home state of New Jersey, which uh, really only because I started there because that's where I grew up. That's where I know best. So always a home market. Then the next market above, beyond that was Atlanta. I went into Atlanta because I lived there at one point, so it's kind of like another home okay. state of mine, a home area of mine. And then Florida because my dad lives down there, and I, I, I'm, you know, I have a good relationship with my dad. And it's really that, you know, we, we spend time there. So the idea of, of picking three means that you can get market penetration. So the idea of three is that you can understand all the dynamics of the market. You can know what, the, the, uh, what it costs to build. You can know the players in the market. You can know the brokers because that's a great source of deal, right? You want those listings that are not advertised to the general public. They call pocket listings, and the only way you're going to get those pocket listings is if you know the brokers. In addition to that, you want to know, you want to go deeper. You want to be able to know the politicians. You want to be able to know the city council in those areas because they know where development is going. And in each city, there's a master plan. You want to know where the where the overall objective or the overall zoning and planning is looking to build. Is there a lack of affordable housing in the city? Is there a lack of veteran or senior housing? All of these things are really important when you're in the real estate development field because it allows you 
to position yourself to, to really create value, to be a value-add component, and that's where wealth is created. You know, you have to find something that's undervalued and then add value to it, and it's called forced depreciation. Once you do that, you can create millions and millions of dollars. Okay, and that's great. I'm glad you mentioned that. So I know in Florida, there's in Atlanta as well, there's more land. Uh, but one of the things that you mentioned was adding value. How do you add value to an actual property? Because I know, and I'm thinking about Jersey, New Jersey in, in particular, uh, you know, we're, we're all on top of, top of each other. So how do you spot the good deal, one? And two, what are, so by adding value, do you, are you saying you have to put in additional money for that property once you acquire it? Yeah, so what I mean by adding value is simply, number one, finding a property that is undervalued, right? Okay. That's really the key, finding something okay. that is undervalued. And then the next step is finding a component that you could easily add to that property, right? So prime example that I would give is we purchased a 100-unit apartment complex uh, right here in New Jersey. And part of that, part of the reason why we purchased it for $5 million, part of the reason why we purchased it for that lower price is because the management company was not running it uh, effectively. So because they weren't running it effectively, the valuation on the property was low, right? So the, the, the way that commercial properties are evaluated is basically based on NOI, your net operating income. If your net operating income is low, you get a low valuation. We were able to immediately identify the opportunity to say, well, look, these are the areas in which this um, management company is underperforming, right? Once we're able to do that, we've, we've spot an opportunity. Then when we purchased it, we can go in and implement those changes, which is what we did, right? And then ultimately, we more than doubled the value of the property. So we turned a $5 million property into a $10 million property because we were able to go in and increase the NOI. That's really what I mean by value-add opportunities, being able to spot those and, uh, and go from there. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it's just not about just having the money. It's also a part of uh, studying as well. And that's where, go that's where knowing the right players come in, also maybe having mentors, someone that has, that's, that's good at doing the business and has a great idea of knowing what they're doing to kind of help you along. So when you, you get comfortable, you can do it yourself. I'm sure you had someone helping you, mentors, and then having a passion for it. You, you want to at least enjoy that you're doing this. So, you know, like I, like I said, I mentioned earlier that my um, kids are, are reading, we're reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Do you consider that a must read for people of color? And if not, what are some other books do you think people of color or African-Americans should be reading so they can be more knowledgeable about how they can create generational wealth? Yeah, so uh, I, I do think that um, it is a key read, but I, I'd be remiss if I did not mention the fact that Robert Kiyosaki, uh, he's a racist, so I have to put that out there because okay. of just statements that he's made. So, um, so I don't want to. I don't want to. I've read his book. I think it's. I, I think that the key takeaways for his book is that the cash flow of it, literally understanding that. Uh, it's important that you basically get to the right side of the cash flow quadrant 
and that you are a business owner or an investor. So I'm not I'm not aware if you're familiar with a lot of the statements and the tweets that he's made uh, in the past few days. But uh, no, I'm they, not. And so now pretty, I'm uh, I have to stop. Black Lives Matter. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. Uh, I, I can't recommending his book. Well, we can end, of, we can end that right now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. So uh, Napoleon Hill, so we'll, we'll pivot. Napoleon Hill uh, has uh, Think and Grow Rich. To me, okay. uh, that is a book. That is a must read. So I, I definitely would recommend uh, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Really, there's, there's other, the other thing is financial literacy. And then understanding that wealth management is a key portion of that financial literacy. And a lot of what our company does, what Money Ab does, is helps you understand that. Like, you know what a family office is, correct? Yes. The, you know what a family All right, so, so our goal is to take the family office concept and really bring it down to the thousandaire level so that we can literally be family offices for thousandaires and then help them to become millionaires. That's really our goal is, is to accomplish that, that key mission, and we do that mm-hmm. through real estate. We, we do that through helping you establish and create a business. And then we also do that through tax strategy. The tax strategy is very simple. We defer while we're living and then we die, right? Then after we die, our children, our heirs, inherit our assets and our wealth in a step-up basis. That's just an accounting terminology that means that the taxes that we owed when we were living get wiped out. And, and, and that's, a, that's a strategy that allows us to basically, the wealth, the wealth they use it, the family offices that are in play, they deploy the same strategy. We deploy the same strategy on, on a smaller level. And, but you have to have a business or you have to have a uh, real estate portfolio, uh, a buy and hold real estate portfolio that allows you to take advantage of these, these tax practices. So for those who may be listening, Explain that family office concept for us again. Sure. So a family office, and, and a lot of people don't even know what a family office is because they're not, it's not something you see on a day-to-day, right? But if, if people that have, like, let's say if you're worth $100, $200, 300000000 million, if you're worth that much, you'll, have, you'll go to a family office, and they would literally manage your wealth for you. There would be about 20 people within that family office and what they do every single day is they basically come up with the best loan products for you, the best business opportunities for you, the best insurance uh, possible for you, ways in which your, your wealth can be preserved, right? They, they literally think of, think of things every single day of how you can make money on top of the money that you already have. So that's wealth management. And the idea is very simple. You know, they, they, they're in control of a tremendous amount of wealth, but they come to people like me. They come to other investors and people that are trying to raise money, and they use the wealth of their clients to basically either take the deal over or, you know, position themselves, you know, because they, they have this money that they have to produce a ROI, a return on investment. And there's a lot of money sitting out there. The wealth gap is getting bigger and bigger. So what do you have? You have people that have created legislation that, for example, the the Opportunity Zone legislation really started from billionaires that got their billions from the stock market or or technology 
they don't know the best way to pull or liquidate their billions without getting a significant cap hit. Hence, we had two senators, one of them, Cory Booker, the other one is Tim Scott, came up and started this legislation, the Opportunity Zone legislation, and it allows us to basically capitalize, invest in, in certain communities, and do it in a tax-free ma- manner, a, a basis that we can basically invest a lot of money in, have some capital gains, pull it out tax-free. That's the knowledge that we needed. We need to hear. We have the opportunity to take what little we have and start to generate more wealth, not only for ourselves, but really for our families and our children. So lastly, before, you know, let people know how they can take advantage of, you know, at least your knowledge and if they want to start this process, how they can do that. We, um, we're, we're heading a very, uh, Continuous time as a country. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty going on. And so how, how do you feel about how the country, where the country is headed? And then what is it, what is it going to take for us as an African-American community to reach that equality that we need? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic, believe it or not. I'm optimistic about change that, that is going to come, right? I'm in a couple of groups, actually millennials, they started some uh, groups, and and I actually know a couple of the organizers of a lot of the rallies that are taking place. So I'm optimistic that the millennials are going to figure this out. You know, it may not be in the next year or two, but I'm, I'm totally optimistic just by looking, taking a peek behind the curtains and seeing what they've been able to assemble and how they've been able to leverage technology to organize, it's been astonishing to see how fast they've been able to to gather folks together and still be passionate. So to to answer the question, though, I think that what needs to happen next is to add the same thing that Dr. Martin Luther King was fighting for when he was killed, to add the economic empowerment component, to, to add ownership, to begin to close that wealth gap, because once we do, we'll have more power. So I think that's the next phase of, of the Black Lives Matter movement. They need to, and they, and they are starting to have those conversations, and we're starting to see corporate America really react to that, you know, but we have to flex our muscle. We have to um, be able to literally boycott companies that are silent. And it was so powerful, you know, if, you, if you're on social media um, to see the blackout days, you know, just just to see all the black uh, pages that existed throughout. That's a statement. We need to continue to make those statements. We need to continue to to speak with one voice, right? It's so important that we have the black men speak, but we can speak, we can chop it up, we can disagree, but we need to go out in unison and and, and cooperatively act. And I think that's really important and it needs to happen. Great. Yeah, I think think that is... very good point. We have to really start to act and use the power. We have to realize we have the power. And I think the, the millennials are starting to see that because they're out there marching and they're seeing the changes that are being made as a result of their actions. And we really have to start to do, do more of that. But we, I think also collectively coming together, coming together to really make a statement. Okay, what's the next step? Because I think right now we're, we're, the marchers are great. They see the changes that are happening. But then now is okay. What's going to be the next step? 
um, I may not be able to, to have a business right away, but or I may not be ready, but the guy next to me, my friend or neighbor may be able to start a business and we really, okay, so I'll put my, a little bit of money to help him uh, because, you know, the fruits will come because that's what other communities do. I, you know, as opposed to all oh, that, that's not going to be nothing. He, he ain't going to do this. We really have to start. I think, and I think we're going to start doing that. I really do. And, um, and, and what you're doing out here to, to real because real estate has always been the key and what you're doing out here, not only, um, creating a legacy for yourself and, and your family, but also teaching others to do it. So for, for those individuals that might be, uh, interested in starting uh, to create general generational wealth through real estate or other projects, how um, how can they how can they um, reach out to you or is there anything that you're offering that they might be able to take advantage of? Sure. So uh, number one is uh, the best way to do it is contacting uh, my company Money Ave. Like I said earlier, with fintech startup. Uh, moneyav.com is our URL. So it's moneyave.com, moneyav. We basically are a bank. So we right now we're in the phase of lending money. We're lending money. So the, our, part of our mission, we to, I talked earlier about the one rule that we have is that we're going after payday lenders. So next month we have an app coming out. That app from your phone you'll be able to get uh, anywhere from 500 to $10,000 in as fast as three hours. That's one thing that we have. We also have a business credit program in which we bring you through the business credit process where we build your LLC so that you can get business credit that is not tied to your, your Social Security number so that you can take risks, so that you can start businesses, so you can grow your businesses. That's a key element that we have. In addition to that, we want to foster, we want to create more and more black developers. So we offer something very unique. If you have a real estate deal, if you have a development opportunity, a value-add opportunity, you bring the deal to us. If you don't have the money, we will fund 100% of your deal and keep you in the ownership position. We would finance it, fund it 100%, keep you in the ownership position, and, and, and we, that's how we, our goal is to create more and more minority developers. So that, you know, three different verticals, definitely that can add value to just about everyone that has a, a, a mindset to create generational wealth. So that's really the nutshell. Uh, you know, you can find us at uh, moneyav.com. You can find me on Instagram, A. Donahue Baker, on all platforms. Also, Keith, I also started a YouTube channel. So, you know, if anybody is interested in building generational wealth and, and also in uh, real estate development, I constantly put out valuable content to help people learn the principles of real estate development and creating wealth. And my YouTube channel is A. Donahue Baker as well. We do a show called Millionaire Power Moves in which we analyze the power moves of millionaires. Some you know, some you don't know, but in essence, the whole idea is to glean their power moves so that you can emulate them and put them in practice in your personal life. So there you have it. Forget Robert Kiyosaki uh, with his racist comments. A. Donahue Baker is going to help us change our wealth and legacies for our family. So once again, thank you.
because you, you, you changed some lives here today. And I know people are going to think about the money that they've been spending and start to, to save it and use it to create generational wealth. So thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Have a go with it. We'll follow. We'll talk. I'll all reach right. out. All right. Definitely. All right. You have a go. With it. So there you have it, folks. Truly, truly wonderful um, opportunity. Uh, this is Keith Dent signing off. Join us again next week because I'm going to have a great organization uh, down from Houston, Texas. That's called the Black Man Project. Um, they're going to be talking about, you know, why they created that project and what are some of the things that they're trying to do to make Black men speak up, stand out, and be accountable uh, for their community. So I look forward to being back here again next week, and uh, I'll see you soon. Uh,